Listener Production. Shares. Market. The S&P. The ISX. Stocks. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that hasn't had anybody sacked in the last couple of days. I am still here, and still Scott Phillips. He is still here. He is still Andrew Page. He is the founder and managing director of strawman.com, which is... Um, Private Online Investment Club. That's right. Okay, Andrew, how are you? <laughs> I'm good, mate. You've now got people on Twitter saying it too. I know. How good's that? <laughs> yeah, that's great. <laughs> oh, mate, you've you got fans on Twitter. I said, hit me up saying, who's that smart bloke you talk to on the podcast? Can I have his Twitter handle? It's like, no, no, bugger him. He could get his own bloody free press, but no, I, I, I did the right I thing. Told I told them to say that. <laughs> I gave them your Twitter handle, which is at sage underscore Simeon uh, or at strawman invest for the strawman account. Uh, while we're here, I am TMF Scott P on Twitter and Insta, The Motley Fool AU on those two platforms too. And on Facebook, The Motley Fool Australia or facebook.com slash Scott Phillips money. Let's get that out of the way early, mate. Hey, um, big week. Yeah. I saw you last Saturday. Mm. You and I were working. We have that much commitment to the investing public of Australia, to our calling, to our jobs, to all those good things, all those wonderful things that uh, we were there on a Saturday. We were at FinFest, a financial festival, see what they did there, run by Equity Mates, which was a whole lot of fun. You and I were uh, hit up and said, hey, guys, you are so smart and good looking and interesting and thoughtful and intelligent and uh, all those good things. We'd like you to come and speak at our financial festival. So we said, yeah, yeah, we'll do that. And we had one session together, which was fun. And then you and I did separate sessions as well. It was uh, it was a lot of fun. We, we got a chance to meet a whole lot of people. Uh, some really, really cool, uh, well, there were some okay other speakers. We were very, very, very good. Uh, but it was a lot of fun, wasn't it? Of course. It was unlike any financial event I've, I've ever been to. I'll, <laughs> I'll paint a picture for, DJ. For, for the listeners. There was a DJ, there Go was on. food trucks, there was a margarita bar, mm-hmm. there was a mechanical bull. Um, it was a mechanical bull. It was it was really wild. Did you and ride the mechanical bull? I no. I've we got, really should have. Now I think about it, we really should have made the time. Yeah. Just for the photos yeah. on social media, if nothing else. I was just going to say, like, in a, in a pre-social media world, maybe, mm. but I don't I don't need that following me around forever. <laughs> no. But it was a lot of fun. Uh, well done to Equity Mates for putting it on. Yeah, it, uh, I, it was very encouraging, too, because it was a very young demographic, mm-hmm. and it was a very gender-balanced demographic, too. Yeah, that was the coolest so, part, I reckon. You know, so often in this game, it's 50-year-old plus males, uh, mm. for whatever reason, um, but this this was a really great spread of of well, just younger people who I think are really taking investing seriously and keen to learn more and yeah had a real chance to speak to a lot of people and and just you know gives you gives you a lot of optimism for the future because there's some really really smart young kids out there screwed head their heads screwed on properly yeah. looking to do the right thing looking yep. to learn yep. and grow and yeah yep the, the future's looking bright. It was nice to be among young people our age, wasn't it? Just to kind of all hang out as you know, <laughs> young, right. fellow youngsters yeah. and just, you know, really enjoy being youngsters together and kids and, <laughs> and young people and, and that sort of stuff. It was, it was, do you know millennials yep. are now 40? Can, That's I, can I share that scary stat with you? It's millennials amazing. are supposed to be these, you know, 17-year-olds who, like, they're smashed abos and now they're bloody having kids and they're, you know... I'll, Sunrise, sunset. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. No, it was it was lots of fun, mate. It was lots of fun. We actually spoke, you and I, about small caps. We're going to do that a little bit later on this podcast if we have some time. So stay yeah. tuned for that because uh, Andrew had some really interesting things to say. I know that will surprise a lot of listeners, but it's true. <laughs> uh, <our listeners laughs> we will both know that. did. We both did. <laughs> I know listeners will, uh, will, will 
uh, understand and expect that already. Uh, but we thought we might just re- not replay any of it. We'll, we'll just have another conversation about the same kind of topic because it was an interesting chat. I thought it was just something we wanted to share a little bit more broadly. Um, thanks to, by the way, at the session we did, 90% of the people there put their hand up so they listened to the podcast, which was really yeah, cool. That's cool. That yeah. was awesome. So thank you, listeners. If you were there, thanks for coming along. Really, really appreciate it. It was lots of fun. Hopefully you got some value out of the uh, out of the session. If you did, as always, let us know. If you didn't, then don't tell anybody because uh, we like to pretend we did a really good job. So there is that. <laughs> Mate, um, let's let's get into the podcast proper. Uh, I, it's both irrelevant and really relevant right now. UK inflation, only late this week, hit 10.1% again. Mm. Um, there are, by the way... I, was, I think it was Spain. I heard, the, I heard it on the radio just really in passing. I don't know why I was listening to it at some point. Um, apparently, there's been riots um, and protests because of high inflation in some European countries. Mm-hmm. Um, not, not the UK, but just as I'm, as I'm thinking about UK's inflation of double digits, it reminded me that I'd heard that during the week. It's, um, it's a hell of a thing, right? I could just, you know, for, for so much, I, I, I imagine if we Googled inflation is dead, we'd have a million scholarly articles of why inflation couldn't possibly come back. By the way, that's always the first sign of uh, you should expect something. If someone says inflation is dead or we're at the end of history or we'll only need six computers in the world. Um, a good reminder that at those times, that's probably a really good time to be at least a little bit contrarian. It's so, it's so funny you say that because I read an article yesterday saying Bitcoin is dead, but I'm just going to leave that there <laughs> and, we'll, and we'll move on. So that's the exception that proves the rule, obviously. <laughs> um, but uh, we will we will move on. Uh, speaking of which, you did take uh, you were at pains during FinFest to remind people that it's not crypto; it's just Bitcoin. I don't know how many times I heard you say that, but it was very, at least very, half a dozen. Very quick segue oh, okay, be- because the, the talk that I did. So we did a one together, and we had, they asked us to do a stock pitch. So I did a I did a stock pitch because I'm an equities guy, and that's mm-hmm. what you do. But I, I had to Correct. throw in a Bitcoin pitch. Of oh, course, no. I did. Luckily, but I it missed was, that one. But it was—it's uh, going to be recorded, mate. So I'll send it around. Don't you worry. Um, but it was in the—it was in the coin. Coinbase were a major sponsor, mm-hmm. and um, they had a tent there. So I was in their tent doing that, and um, I, I <laughs> did see some faces at the back. They were probably at first excited that I was talking about Bitcoin, and then less excited when I said that every other coin was a. Uh, a coin. poo coin, let's just poo call coin. it that. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, good and and to get your get your get your uh, assets off exchange. <laughs> Some mixed messages there. I just thought, yeah, like, yeah. luckily I wasn't sponsored by them or anything like that. But uh, <laughs> yeah, just it was it was a little it was a little bit awkward. Little there bit. was nothing like a polemic. I, one of the uh, one of the they had little domes. It was a really cool little uh, little setup. Uh, one of the domes I spoke at was was sponsored by crypto brokerage or crypto platform, whatever they are these days. And the guy came up and introduced himself. Oh, look, I, you know, I'm so-and-so from this place and you know, I just want to say thanks for speaking. And this, we, we sponsored this tent. I was like, I don't know how, if he knows how much I know or care about crypto, but I don't imagine he would have been, either he was being very, very polite or he didn't know me that well. I'm not sure which. <laughs> not that I'm a massive bear, as you know, and I'm not, I'm not anti-crypto or anti-Bitcoin. I'm anti-crypto, um, I'm massively I'm anti-crypto. As soon as I said that, I knew you were going to say that. Uh, <laughs> but in any case, I'm not anti-Bitcoin. I'm, just, I'm, I'm happily, happily, um, interestedly, interestedly agnostic. Uh, yeah. Anyway, mate, so back to inflation. Speaking of Bitcoin, let's not yes, go there sorry. either. Yeah. Um, 10.1%, mate, uh, really, really tough times for the POMs. We have been stupidly lucky. If people reckon inflation is high here at 6.1% was the latest quarterly number, 68 the latest monthly number from some of the ABS stats. Mm. It might go up, by the way. We might just be behind the rest of the world. But when the POMs are at 10 and the Yanks are at 8, we are so far at least just bloody lucky. Um, look, it's still very, very high. But you know what? When it's already 6, you don't want to go to 8 or 10 if you can avoid it. So that's a well, that's a win. Go on. So- so it was interesting. You mentioned the, the riots over there. It was also mm. France and Italy. Um, 
having some social issues there as yeah, well. Right. And I think it's a good reminder that it's so easy to sort of you talk mm. and think about these things as these abstract <laughs> yeah, right. economic yeah. things. I mean, these yeah. are yeah. these are real real world impacts to people. Oh, God, yeah. Yep. And it's it's basically having your savings yep. and your earnings stolen. Yeah. You know. Yep. Um, yep. Just through inflation, you, 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 with, with 10% inflation to go with just that nice round number, obviously yeah. Yeah. your savings are worth 10% than, less than they were a year ago. The amount of money that you're earning is, is worth 10% less. Yep. I actually think the CPI numbers are a very, I mean, they're a necessary kind of evil, I suppose, but they're very, it's, just, it's based off a standard basket of goods. Yep. Yep. Except, but you know, within that, they'll they'll have the trimmed and the core, and we'll yeah, strip out food, right. and we'll strip out energy. <laughs> yeah. It's like what? Yeah, energy yeah. and food. I kind of I use a lot of energy and food. I don't know mm. if it's you know. So it's sort of like, and they do it all for very good reasons, which we won't get into now. But I, I just think that within all that, there are some people hurting uh, really badly, and that for them, the, the 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 direct rate of inflation is is very high, and it's it's substantial. It's it's a real substantial issue, and it's a it's a difficult one, right? And you've got this bizarre scenario. In fact, the UK was a good example of this. Mm. The left hand is desperately trying to fight it oh, by increasing yeah. rates. The right hand yeah. is desperately printing cash to so save the whole system from collapsing. It's sort of, you know, an immo- immovable object mm. meets a. Mm. Uh, unstoppable force, force kind of yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> kind of scenario mm. and I just don't know yeah it's, it's like we were speaking off air it's sort of we're not macro guys mm-hmm. but gosh everything seems macro at the moment it really does I think you know this is where podcasts like this is really difficult right we, 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 A we do it weekly we could probably just do one podcast once for three or four hours, say everything we had to say, and then just repeat that. And that'd be that'd be fine. And, you know, would the message change? No. Would the details change? Probably not. Uh, I have said this before, mate. I, I write regularly, probably a couple of times a week, three times a week, um, for Facebook and for our email list. And I have almost every single time someone saying, "Thank you for continuing to repeat the message." And I do. I will say too, a lot of our, our listeners do say, you know, we know you kind of say the same things, guys, but thanks for keeping us on the straight and narrow. I feel like it's a bit the same with the macro stuff, right? It's like. Is it, is it relevant over a 10-year period? Probably not. Probably not. Maybe it is, depending on what happens in the next 10 years, I suppose. But um, it, 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 it remains not only what everyone's talking about, so people want our view, does it matter? How does it matter? Why does it matter? But also, it does impact asset prices. And maybe only in the short to medium term, and maybe over time things go back to where they should be, and I think that's probably true. But we've said before, interest rates dramatically impact things like the weighted average cost of capital, if you're someone who uses that in the algebra, or just the discount rate if you don't. Um, it impacts the alternative asset options available. It impacts asset prices. So, you know, these things are, on one hand, um, you know, there's plenty of quotes from Buffett and Lynch and others saying, don't worry about the macro. It's true to some degree, uh, but it's so impactful on share prices and on sentiment and on what's being reported in the news that we cover it because we hope that by doing so, we do actually help people understand what's going on and what we think, why they should think about it. And even just simply trying to make sense of some of the jargon and stuff that gets talked about, um, slay some of the sacred cows, explain some of the other stuff. That's why we do it. Uh, so if you're wondering, and we have had occasionally someone say, hey guys, you spend more time on stocks, less time on macro. And we'll try and do a bit of both as always. And we try and do that generally. Sometimes during earnings season, we get to talk a lot about stocks. Other times when there's not as much news at a company level, but a heap of news when it comes to the macro, that's what we're going to spend some time doing. So I, I will both apologise and not apologise, depending on where listeners are preferring what they would like to think we might do. Uh, hopefully, in the fullness of time and over enough episodes, you get a good a good amount of both. Yeah, it, it, look, it is important to to you know mm. have that message of the keep calm and carry on. Um, yeah. yeah. 
But I think it is also important to balance that uh, with with some harsh realities as yep. well. Yeah, good and one. and I, I think it's we you often talk about the um the long-term chart from Vanguard and it's <laughs> yeah. a very good chart, but but it's also I think one of the things that is worth stressing that although that is true, mm. there are very long periods within that chart where nothing happens or in fact things go down and yeah. it's it's that it's that point where the demons will come at night mm -hmm. and and really test mm -hmm. you and it's easy it's easy when you look at that and go bottom left top right yep okay mm -hmm. i'm sold mm -hmm. yeah you know you 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 you, you drink the kool-aid you take the message yeah. yeah and then maybe maybe there's a period or well, there's multiple periods in history yeah. significant yes. periods where like 10 years nothing happens on the yeah, 10 absolutely. years like it's it's all good and was like you know i i mm -hmm. go from you know, doing my HSC to having a mortgage and a family over that time frame <laughs> for a lot of people, it is, it is you, you, what's the word? You, it will always be darkest before the dawn as well. Yes. And, yeah, and there's the, the, the trouble with it is, is that, and you're right to repeat the message because actually the other, the other part of that message is, is that when you look over history and say, well, what was the best time to invest? Mm -hmm. was actually during those <laughs> <Yeah>. periods. <laughs> it's yeah. just that that was the hardest and so time And no one does invest. because that's why share prices are low. This is, this is yeah. the very reality of that, right? Why are share prices low? More sellers and buyers, as, as usual, we usually laugh about. Uh, but the simple reality is more people wanted those shares, the prices would be higher. It, it is literally when everyone walks away, share prices fall because people go, mm, that's too expensive. I don't want to buy those shares. I'm going to put mm. money under the mattress or spend it or something else with it or whatever else it is. It's exactly at those points where no one's buying or, you know, again, not no one because every trade has a buyer and a seller. But when there's no excess demand, so sellers aren't selling, but buyers aren't buying and share prices are falling, That when no, when no one is saying, go and fill your boots, tends yep. to be the time to fill your boots, unfortunately. <laughs> And the other thing, the other thing, I know I mentioned this before as well, but it's worth bears repeating. And that is that although that is sort of this general picture that we're painting is true over the longer term mm -hmm. on average, it is also true that the majority of stocks underperform and lots and lots of stocks go out of business all the time as well. So you see, sometimes see people take the wrong message from this and they'll buy, you know, perhaps a high flying tech company that's bleeding cash doesn't really have attractive unit economics and uh it's probably not going to be in business and it looks it's dropped down 60 percent, so it looks cheap and you go well i'm in it for the long term mm -hmm. well mm -hmm. i'm being greedy when others are being fearful yep. and they're they're, they're, they're exactly. saying the right mantra yes. yeah. yeah but but what you see during these periods is there are plenty of stocks it's mm. not on the edge here. There are, in yeah. fact, when I say a majority, I'm not taking 90%, but I more than 50%. Just that yeah. just actually, <laughs> no, <laughs> you're throwing good money after bad at this yeah. point. So yeah. you, you, there, the bull markets teach all the wrong lessons. And, mm -hmm. and one of the wrong lessons is whatever you touch is going to go, yeah. it's just going to turn <laughs> to gold. And in yep. fact, often the worse the company, the, the better the better the short term returns. You know, exactly. Exactly. so so I guess the the point mm -hmm. that that needs to be made here is is that while staying the course and while buying during these times is a right mm -hmm. thing to do, you need to be especially especially fussy. And yep. and some of the things that yep. that you need to look at is well, probably one of the most important things to look at is the balance sheet here. Mm -hmm. You want businesses that are not going to rattle the tin every time yeah. they run out of cash and they run out of cash every six months because they just, <laughs> yeah, they've, got, right. they've got a terrible business. Yeah. Sales might look good, but but there's no earnings there. Cash is flying out mm -hmm. the door and the only people making the money are the executives paying themselves insane salaries. And there's just lots of it. Um, 
so yeah, be be fussy. <laughs> I've um I've made this point before, mate. Too, I, I think, and this is I'm glad we're talking about stocks actually in the in the context of the macro because it's important. And this is so much is luck, right? And so much is so much is timing. And I don't say that because I want to suggest there's no skill that anyone brings to the game. But I've said before, Musk himself has effectively said if Tesla had if we shift the macro environment five years earlier, Tesla probably goes broke, right? And now it's one of the most valuable companies in the world and you go, wow, that was a company that rattled the tin over and over and over again, just happened to do so while it A, created a cult of followings, let's be, let's be clear, but also B, while there was free money or, or close enough to free money and people were happy to throw stuff around. Some of the companies of today, had they been launched five years earlier, will have gone through this period, either raised capital at cheaper prices or, or didn't need to raise capital or whatever else happened, um, whether or not there's a down, an economic recession or not. You know, after after a effectively 30 years without one, the COVID period was kind of papered over by governments. I don't mean that in a uh, pejorative way, by the way. They literally just, you know, smashed, smoothed over the, the humps. Um, you know, the, the, there is there is so much of that. And I think, I'm, I, you, know, you know, I've said before, mate, I've said this for years, the poor people I still work with hear it all the time, but you've heard it from me before, is being careful of learning the wrong lessons. Because that's the other side of the same coin mm. you've just talked about, which mm. is, you know, on one hand we say, see, of course we should have always only have owned companies that, that didn't have to raise capital. On the other hand, you say, well, hang on, owning Tesla for the last 10 years was stupendously profitable. Neither of those things is untrue. Your statement is true, and so is Tesla's returns. Um, there is, I think, a, a reality of the time and the place. And just being aware of that, I think... You know, uh, again, some of these businesses that have fallen 60, 70% because they have to raise capital in a different world haven't fallen at all. In fact, are larger because they raised capital three years earlier or because they got over that hump of, of cash outflows and now are making some money and the market sees them entirely differently. Um, there is a lot of, of circumstance and frankly, just luck that comes with some of these things, which doesn't at all invalidate the need to do your work, to manage your risk, to understand the issues the companies are facing and that kind of stuff. Um, but you know, had, had had rates not gone up, had not inflation not turned up, some of these businesses are now down 60%, would have been up 60%. And we would have had a very different conversation right now on the 21st of October. And we would have said, look how great this business is. <laughs> look how well it's done. You know, with, with the lessons we learn. This is, a, they're always in hindsight, right? That's, that's the other thing is we kind of say, you guys should have done this and this and this because obviously in these circumstances, this happened. I don't know. I don't think I have an answer. I don't think I have a, a view. I think generally speaking, I would actually completely concur with your point after all that, which is, you know, don't, uh, you know, Buffett would say, don't rely on the kindness of strangers. I think that's kind of exactly it. He was talking about debt broadly, leverage, but same is true of equity raisings. Yes, you might miss some upsides in the good years, um, but buying cash burning businesses and assuming things are always going to be okay, I, I think we know now would have been a massive mistake. Even if those circumstances hadn't happened, the risk was always still there. Just because these things don't come true doesn't mean you shouldn't be thinking about them. Yeah, I, I feel pretty vindicated on some of the stuff that we were poo-pooing mm-hmm. a year or so ago. Absolutely, yep. and you, and and felt very alone in the wilderness at the time. <laughs> Correct. By now, pay later, anybody? Well, that was that was the example I was going uh-huh. to give. I mean, Sorry. and, and it, how stupid do you look saying, "Oh, mm. geez, I don't know, I don't know," and then yeah. it's up twenty percent. What you if go, well now? Yeah. I, now I definitely <laughs> now I'm definitely got some concerns, and then it goes up another twenty percent. Yes. Yep. And, you know, and people go, what are you talking about? Zip, <laughs> 2016, it made $4 million in revenues and then it quadrupled it, then it doubled it, then it doubled it again, and then it doubled it again, you know? In 2020, it was making $157 million in revenues. In 2022, $620 million. It's just going to the moon, you know? And, and yet, and yet, you know, 
mm-hmm. bar humbug, uh, Scott Phillips, Andrew Page, you're going, well, that's, that's just <laughs> exactly. ridiculous. Exactly. And well, yep. what's happened to the share price here? I mean, these, these things cannot go mm-hmm. on forever. Mm-hmm. Trees mm-hmm. do not grow to the sky. Yep. Um, and, and the issue there was is that although sales were doing very, very, very well, very mm-hmm. well, um, the net <laughs> yeah. profit was getting worse. In fact, last yeah. year, the year that they had record revenue, mm. um, you know, significantly up on the year before, mm. they lost more money that year than they ever have. They lost almost twice as much as they had lost the year before. <laughs> the unit economics were just mm-hmm. not there at that point. And it, it's sort of, it's a very, very, very good reminder that, yeah. that um, you know, if you are entirely reliant on the kindness of strangers, mm-hmm. you've you've got to either have some cult like personality at the helm, like an Elon Musk, to to carry the the mission forward. Mm. Otherwise, it's just going to fall away. And then you have these scenarios where, like this right. thing, this thing, let me bring it up here. It's <laughs> trading at twelve dollars the beginning of twenty twenty one. And then yeah, it would have dropped to six dollars uh, about a year ago, and looked cheap, down fifty percent. I'm being yeah. greedy when others yeah. are fearful. And then it dropped to three dollars <laughs> at the start of this year, yeah. and now it's sixty something cents. And yeah. you know, and maybe, maybe I will eat my words, and and maybe, well, actually, <laughs> it's, obviously, the lower it drops, the more interesting it sort of becomes. But. Um, uh, I still would want to. I would want to see the cash flow start to moving, at least just starting to turn around in the right direction before you yep. you, you looked at things. And that's just a good a good reminder that you know story is important, opportunity is important, sales are important, but other things are very important too. And a, a lot of people learning that the hard way. I think it's. I think it's. You know, we've said so. This is a great. I'm really glad you brought this up. Mate. This is a great example to my mind of we talk about probabilities all the time. Just because a bad idea does well doesn't make it a good idea. Yeah. And so when you think about, you know, if, and look, again, in, in a different set of circumstances, Afterpay is now $300 a share, right? And we look, we look even stupider than we did a year ago. And that's not easy because we looked pretty stupid a year ago. Uh, and, and, you know, would we have then been wrong? Well, again, if you're someone who says the only measure is the, the market price, and yes, we would have been wrong and, and very, very, very wrong. Would our rationale have been wrong? Well, again, if it goes to $1,000 another 10 years, I guess probably at some point you've got to admit defeat. But the, the reality of the risk you, are, you were taking in those circumstances with that business or those types of businesses, more often than not, our view is, was, I think it's fair to say, I don't want to speak for you, mate, so tell me if you disagree, but our view is, was broadly that this sort of business is too risky to own at this price on average not that it can't do well not that it won't do well the worst business in the world can just strike it lucky mm. right um and and good luck to them that that you know it, uh, hey we all need a bit of luck in life doesn't make it a doesn't make it a wise bet you might it might be a successful bet it's not a wise bet when the 101 horse wins the melbourne cup it's not a good bet yeah you mate you win a lot of money you shout your mates beers and it's all great does it make it a smart bet no it's a stupid bet because mm. it won't win most of the time now again that's the difference between measuring outcomes. Annie Duke, the writer and a former professional poker player of all things, has written a great couple of books. She calls it eventing, using the results to then recast the bet as if every positive result was a good bet and every negative result was a bad bet. Mm. And it's just, it's just really, and if you're listening to this going, well, obviously that's true. I really would encourage you to read her book um, or listen to the audio book if you want to, or just, just really start to think a bit more deeply about being able to only judge a decision by the outcomes that you make because you know you can you can drink a million beers and drive home and not crash doesn't make it a good idea mm. right regardless mm. 
You can wear a seatbelt and still die in a prank. Does it make wearing a seatbelt a bad idea? No, of course it doesn't. You just got unlucky and that sucks. Um, and it, you know, it almost sounds too trite to say, but you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's a really awful thing to be in a set situation. But overall, you've got to separate the quality of the bet you make and the outcome you happen to achieve. Loaded coins, we've talked about before. We've done this so many different times, mate, but I, I'll never stop doing it because it's really, really, really important that people understand. Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. Mate, let's, uh, let's, speaking of psychology, let's move to a bit closer to home. Let's read the RBA. Uh, I, was, I was wrong about the RBA. I had taken the view that their reduction from 0.5% increases to 0.25% or 25 basis points, as the cool kids say. You're not a real member of the Economist Club unless you talk about basis points. Mm-hmm. Um, the, I had used the analogy saying, you know, when you get closer to a destination, we're driving down the street and you get close to where you're going to go, you start to slow the car down and then you eventually pull it up. And this was, the 0.25 was, was part of the journey from we need to do a lot to, okay, a little bit more still to do, but we're almost finished to, okay, now we're done. The RBA kind of during the week said, actually, no, I didn't say no, I should be careful about how I paraphrase, but they effectively said, we want to put smaller increases in because we want to make the whole thing last longer. Effectively, they're saying, you know what? And this is interesting, mate, because plenty of people said, hey, if you're going to do it, why don't you do it all in one big hit? Two percentage points, bang, job done. And then we at least get on with it, right? Mm-hmm. And that was kind of also partly my view. I'm not even sure I'm, uh, no one knows what's right and wrong. But the RBA seems to have taken the, has said as much that, they are now saying, you know what, we want to make sure that people keep this front of mind for a longer period of time. It seems, if I read between the lines, they're worried if they went hard and fast, we'd go, that sucks. <sighs> okay, now let's go back to the shops. And by, by drawing out the process, by making it painful, by making us focus on it and talk about it for longer periods of time, they hope the effect they have is more lasting and probably, I think this bit is actually true. If you go once, you don't have anything left in the locker. If you keep some ammo dry and you kind of slowly, slowly, slowly build it up, you've always got something more to do each time. Uh, you don't kind of get to the destination and go, oh, bugger, that wasn't enough. So it seems a reasonable thing to do. I was surprised. I didn't think that's why they were doing it, but it seems that exactly why they're doing it. Um, we're going to have maybe the same amount of you know, money to pay on the mortgage. We just might take longer to get there, and that seems like a deliberate strategy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I make sense. I, I it's I, I guess I, I throw my hands up. I know I've yeah. had this rant recently, but I just <laughs> it, it's a centrally planned policy that yeah. best intentions, smartest people, they're correct. just gonna get it wrong. You keep saying best guess, you yeah, just said right. yourself, no one knows. Yeah. No yeah, one correct. knows. Correct. You know? They don't know. They yeah. they can't know. I, I find kind of, the more yeah. I ponder it from a first yeah. principles perspective, the more I think the whole damn system is is insane. I, I would mm. say let the market determine the price of money. <laughs> I would go. I would go. All well, we we do that for everything else. And I just you know these high priests of of the economy that just yeah you know, like they're trying to do the best they can. That makes sense. Exactly what you said. I can nod and go. Mm. Yeah, I can. I can buy in, into that. Um, but you know that they they're managing something that's just way too complex for any any person any group of people to ever have any hope of, of fully comprehending or understanding it. You know. I am I am pretty pleased to do a couple of things, mate. The RBA had famously or infamously not that probably long probably eighteen months ago now, but it doesn't feel like that long ago had changed their stance from looking forward to looking backwards, which I think was the epitome of can I say stupidity? That seems a bit harsh. 
Um, driving in the rear vision mirror. The whole idea of like, hey, there's a big accident coming ahead. No, the road behind me is fine. We've been doing 100 for a while. That's okay. If we hit something, then we'll, then we'll actually you know, adjust course. Um, it sounded silly to me. And they always had looked forward and they kind of stopped. They, the policy was, and you know, here's the thing. They did it because they kept getting the forecast wrong. And they kind of, been, oh, exactly. we can't really forecast, so we're going we're gonna to exactly. wait, right? The flip side though is, that's exactly what caused this part of the problem, which is they waited until everything was obviously shit, excuse my language, and then said, ah, maybe we should do something, which I'm not sure is a, a better option than the alternative. I'm reasonably happy that they're at least taking a behavioral view of this rather than a purely classical economist view and saying, mm. we're going to think about the way people respond to what we're doing, not just the mathematical equation of what we're doing. I think you're right. If, if the final rate is 3.5%, mm -hmm. you can do it right now, mm -hmm. or you could take six months to get there, and in six months' time, the rate would be the same. So mathematically, it's the same thing. They seem to have, though, maybe learned that lesson again, belatedly. We all, as we've woefully... I talked about before that the memory of economists and systems is woefully short. Uh, it seems like they've they've come back to that understanding and I'm really 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 pleased they're taking a behavioral economics view maybe they always were maybe it wasn't just as obvious or maybe it's always been obvious and I just haven't noticed it um, again I'm no I'm no guru but uh, it does seem like at least uh, they are allowing for the reality of how that policy actually ends up into our minds and therefore into our spending in a way that maybe they haven't been as explicit about before I, I think that's all they can do but the, the only thing they can do is to is to impact behaviour by um, making people a bit more scared or a bit more greedy. Yeah, that, yeah, that right. is all yeah. they can do. Yes, confidence, right? It, it is all confidence. It's confidence. Mm. That, that, mm. That's the, mm. the crux of the entire system. But there's yeah. a there's a huge yeah. misunderstanding out there that the, the it's the central bank that you know goes burr and prints all the money doesn't mm. happens in the commercial banking system it's called the fractional mm. reserve mm. banking mm. system it's perfectly normal it's happened for a long time it's why mm. when when we had certain um policy responses from central banks after the gsc we didn't see inflation yeah. uh, we didn't see uh rampant consumerism despite all the stimulus why because the banks themselves for own self-interested reasons were like i just don't feel comfortable lending anymore mm. the bank is yeah. giving me um uh, capacity to if I so choose mm, to mm, mm. Uh, but I don't want to mm. and I don't want to because I'm scared I'm burnt I just went through yep. one of these yep. terrible cries and it, it, that's what everyone kind of misses so what will happen at the end of the day in terms of the money that's out there to buy into houses or to buy into anything else will be when the banks feel as though that's appropriate or not to do so the RBA can absolutely to your point impact sentiment they can impact mm -hmm. reserve ratios. They can even do direct market manipulation through quantitative easing, which is a slightly yes. different thing. But when it comes to their interest rates, I would argue the more I've pondered this and the more I've read, it's actually more just a signaling mechanism more than anything else. When you actually look at the mechanics and the plumbing of the financial system, it actually shouldn't have as much of an impact as you'd think because it's the overnight cash rate, <laughs> which is what we're talking about, the amount that, that banks will pay and what they've borrowed from the reserve or what interest they get if they deposit money at the reserve. It's actually not a huge chunk of their balance sheet here. Mm. It's all mm. psychological. It's all mm. psychological. And um, yeah, it's it's all a bit mad. <laughs> That's a good way to uh, good way to describe it. And yet here we are. Yeah, here we are. Uh, speaking of mad, apparently falling house prices are good. Yeah. According to uh, Aperachief, well, again, Aperachief Wayne Byers. 
apparently it's all fine apparently uh you read half an article to me before we started uh caveat emptor uh bad luck just do whatever falling prices are good to which you say absolutely yeah and um, I'm going to give a, a shout out to S- Steve um, from the Australian Shareholders Association. Um, hmm. the, the chair there, he, he sent me an email because he knows <laughs> he knows my, <laughs> my bias. He said I should check out this article. It's a it's a it's a oh, it's a good one. People, people loading the gun for Andrew Page. That's not necessary. People, he's quite capable of firing enough bullets by himself. But go on. What, no, what thanks to the uh, heads up, Steve. So well, he, <laughs> the upper chairman um, Wayne Byers is absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. Mm. What he's mm. what he's basically saying here is he's not saying that house price falls are good and I want house price falls or anything like that. But he's saying that, you know, um, I'll, I'll read a, a quote from it. Um, Regulators being omnipresent or omnipotent, it's foolish. Mm. Sometimes things will go wrong and people will lose money. And as painful as this might be, he's arguing it's an essential part of having a financial system that isn't throttled by red tape. In recent years, I expect in the in the um, I suspect the expectation in the minds of many in the community and in financial markets, for that matter, is that governments will always backstop bad outcomes. Not only is that not always possible, but it risks creating a moral hazard, which the downside from risk taking is underestimated at best and ignored at worst. And so what he's really getting at here is that, I mean, this is this is when we, you see policymakers and politicians speaking out of both sides of their mouth, particularly those on the right. And I'll pick on them because they are more the ones that naturally align themselves with a free market ideology, saying that, you know, greed is good. Capitalism is good. I actually agree <laughs> in large part with that. I think markets are a wonderful mm-hmm. thing for a lot of a lot mm-hmm. of things, not everything, definitely, but for a lot of things. And yet when things go bad, if we're going to go in and, you know, it's, if it's capitalism only on the way up and socialism on the way down, it crea- he's absolutely right. It creates a moral hazard. Mm. So what does a rational actor do in that environment? environment? You take a bunch of risk. I mean, mm. why wouldn't you? It, it's, I've got mm. not much downside because people will come and save me. And yet I get, I get all the gains if, if um, you know, nothing happens for a little while. So, so what, what he's saying here is, is that we need to have pain. We need to expose people to risk. We're not saying we want, mm. we want suffering, but if, if, there is, if there is no downside, it, it creates far, far, far more pain longer term, and it creates problems that, that cannot be engineered. We can't engineer our way out of. You could probably argue that a lot of the macro dynamics that we're seeing playing out at the moment are a consequence of all of this. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's sometimes you need a bit of, I forget who, which economist said it, but a bit of creative destruction, you know, you, you, you need sometimes, Schumpeter, I think Schumpeter might, yeah, maybe it was, but you, you got to, when you have, when you have many years of very, what they call malinvestment, very poor investment, bad allocation of resources and that, you know, it's it kind of, it, it, we all suffer as a, as a society, as a result of that. Um, some people get very, very rich in the interim, but they're not actually creating any value for society. And it's just, it's not sustained. It's not economically sustainable. I mean, you know, China did wonderful things building, you know, enough ghost cities to house the entire population of Germany for a while. But eventually, maybe soon, I don't know, maybe they kick it down, they kick the road down, the can down the road for another 10 years. But I mean, it just, there are there are certain gravitational forces within economics that, that, that mean that that's very... That can be a very, very bad thing, and mm. and I think oh, it, totally. Absolutely. It, it, you know it seems it, you, you can see the headlines being written about this speech, 
but he's just saying something that's perfectly, perfectly reasonable. Mm. You know, imagine if we had said, imagine if the Motley Fool, right? I'll put you guys out there and say that. No, oh, hang on, hang come on. Come invest with us, and yes. anything that goes bad will backstop you. Anything goes good, we'll we'll let you keep all the gains. I mean, how long do you think the business lasts? I mean, you'll make you'll get a lot of yep. clients at first, yep. but yep. but but you'll cause a huge amount of uh, uh, um, yeah pain. <laughs> and it's and it's it's and I guess I guess my the reason I bring it up is that it's a good reminder to and it's it's a very it's very hard to wrap your head around when you've had decades of governments always stepping in, stepping in. We've talked before about mm. poor old mm. Steve Keen just being famously wrong on housing again and again. Uh, and that's because yeah, every, yeah. he's actually had really great arguments, but every time it was about to fall yeah. over, the government would, would step in and backstop housing. Oh, okay, you can access right. super. Actually, here's a first home owner's grant. Actually, here's more money. And it's just sort of like, again, I don't mm, want to get into mm, the debate mm. of, of all of that kind of stuff, but, it, but it, it probably would have done us as a nation a lot of good um, mm. to have a bit of a, a house price tumble you know, 15 years ago. Would have been not that bad. Certainly would have caused some pain. But the important thing is it would have caused pain for those people who took undue risks. And and you need to have, capitalism needs to have reward, but it it also needs to have punishment. It's a carrot Mm -hmm. and a stick kind kind of thing. If you only have the carrot, and all you have is a waffle bat, wiffle bat, whatever they're called. <laughs> it's not. It's the, the system doesn't work. So it's yep. anyway. I think it's. I think it's a good point. And be be mindful that at some point maybe you won't be backstopped. At some yep. point they might not have much of a choice but to to get out of the way. And and the people who are going to suffer most in that scenario are going to be the people who took undue risks. And unfortunately, a lot of people have been encouraged to take undue risks because of this. This moral hazard that that has that has been created, mate. Look at the look at the outrage in the media when the RBA started lifting interest rates, and everyone was, "Whoa, whoa! You said that no, that wasn't going to happen to 2024." And just you know, and just like, well, <laughs> a to your earlier point, their predictions are always wrong. B, this is a market and economy. I mean, you 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 took a, you a lot of people took some very big risks that were very highly leveraged, and. And it's everyone's fault but theirs. And that sounds yeah. brutally yeah. harsh, but it is because you don't get to celebrate your genius as an investor mm. when things go your way and blame everyone else when it doesn't. It's it's just how it is, unfortunately. I think that's true. You know, the problem though is, uh, so I, I, I'm, I'm, I 100% agree with you, but probably with smooth edges on both, in both directions, um, which is just that I think the issues that we, have been created and the actions that have been taken do infer exactly the things that bias is <laughs> cautioning people against and the problem is that once you do that that caution seems to will fall on deaf ears but not only not but worse than that the people have already taken the risks on the basis of past actions by governments and regulators i think there's a reasonable expectation that that's how the system works right that there is some element that government would ch- would be changing the rules by choosing to let these things happen. And I, I agree with it. They should be more um, market-based and we should see more of these sort of things have more of impact potentially. But the very the very faults we're going to have are in part because of the actions that previous governments and regulators took, which kind of makes them complicit in the fall. And then you kind of think, well, hang on, I've... I've been told that for 30 years X happens and my accountant said I should do this and governments have always done this and at some point it's kind of like 
you know, the rules are inferred, and that's not an unreasonable inference. No, it's a, it's a, it's a yeah, sensible inference. Yeah, and that's the thing that gets me though. It's like you kind of go, okay, so if that's true, then it is reasonably unfair for people who are then getting caught up with the oops, we're stepping away now. Sorry, guys. Um, you know that 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 inferred, that imputed, that whatever support you thought was here by government because it's what we've always done. Mm. Is now going away without us giving you any warning. It's going to. Yeah. Sorry, guys. Now you're now you're on your own. Yeah. Um. You, you might live by the sword and die by the sword, but it's also and you know what my my issue is not so much the, the the people like you and I deserve what we get in both directions, right? Because we know the rules of the game. We've played the game long enough. We know how this works. What gets me is the homeowner who does who who, buy, who borrows too much because they've seen price go up for thirty years and they think I can't wait any longer. I'm going to get screwed if if prices keep rising. So I have a choice. Mm. Or the the borrower who who buys an investment property for their super because the accountant said it was a good idea and you know for thirty years this has always happened. And mm. so where is the downside? Where is the risk? It, it seems like a risk free thing to do. Mm-hmm. As much as that might be naive, you know financial markets. Professionals in financial markets should be smarter than than falling for that stuff. I don't blame the average person, mate, for getting caught up in no. assuming the system works the way it works because that's what we've always been told. I don't either. That's the bit that that's that's why I no. bias is not necessarily wrong theoretically. I think practically, and I'm not. I don't have a. I don't have an investment property. I probably know some people with investment properties, but I can't think of any right now. I'm sure I do. I just don't have that conversation. I don't. Unlike most people, I don't talk about property at barbecues. Um, you know, so I, I have no dog in this fight. I'm not. I'm not sticking up for property investors or or, or even shareholders. Like I just. I, I don't. You know, but I do think at some social level. If we've if we've if we've lulled people into believing these things and then we pull the rug out, that seems pretty crappy to me all around. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. But and this is the, the I agree with you. It's not it's not people's mm. fault. People are just trying to. Everyone is trying to improve their situation. Everyone's trying to get ahead. We're we're all doing very sensible things for ourselves mm. and our families. It's 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 uh, and when you're. When you're spending, you know, every waking hour trying to raise the kids and keep a job mm. and all all the things. I mean, you, you shouldn't you shouldn't have to be a financial expert mm. to do some very prudent things to look after after your yeah, your financial exactly. future. Yes. So, so I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. not. I really want to be clear here. I'm not having a go at people who have done the right thing. I am absolutely having a go at the industry for yes, totally. for for predicating all of this kind yeah, of stuff you know and absolutely. and um and thanks and, for making bad loans and yeah exactly and the trouble is is that okay maybe this is the system that we've created but there there yep. potentially comes a point because of this financial gravity i spoke of before where it's sort of like actually you don't have a choice that that's that's yeah. when financial disasters happen and history will yeah. tell you that they actually happen more often than you think mm-hmm. it's not because someone decided okay let's let that happen it happens because it happens under its its own steam because mm-hmm. because the bottom just falls out of things and you have contagion and you have all of these and, and everyone just pulls back in and it all it all falls and it's always it's always the 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 least able to weather the storm that suffer the worst and it's it's a tragedy so i guess what mm. I would say is, although you can't, because people listening to this are obviously taking a keen interest and uh, and probably better better informed than most people, not not just because they listen to us, because by def- by definition, by the kind <laughs> of person who listens to a finance podcast probably <laughs> takes the time yes. to educate yes, exactly. themselves and think exactly. about things a little bit better. Yep. So all I'm saying to you is, is mm. just don't. We talked before about relying on the kindness of strangers. Do not mm. put yourself in a situation. Well, you'd probably be okay because they will probably do everything in their power to, to make sure that things are okay. Mm-hmm. But don't put yourself in a situation where your entire financial future rests mm-hmm. in the good grace of government and policy. Because at some point, if it doesn't happen, then you, you're, you're, the rug's pulled from underneath you and it's unfair and it's wrong and it shouldn't have happened, but it did. 
and and um, I just don't want anyone to be in that in that situation. I'll, I'll manage another. I mentioned another thing at the end of the speech that that Byers um, said, which I think is important here, which is just so stupidly obvious when you say it out loud. Australian house prices are undeniably high, and a sustained lower level of prices would not be a bad thing. Every, everyone wants Im- improved affordability. Um, uh, as a nation, we fret about housing affordability, he goes on. The only way to genuinely improve affordability over time, and he's, he's a bit more um, eloquent mm. with it, is to keep mm. the rate of increase in housing prices below that of our incomes. Mm. Now, that, that is... That is a mathematical fact. That isn't a, a Can, point of view, is an opinion. So, it's, yes. so what is the rate of growth in incomes been over the last 20 oh, years? That grinds my gears, mate. Right? No? Well, it's it's true. It's true. This is the head of oh, APRA. He's not an idiot. Yeah. But well, this, this, that's that's why, you know, finish your point. Then I will, my my I point rant. is, my point is, is that, and I've made it repeatedly, oh, is that everyone's desperately yeah. trying to improve affordability. And a 10-year-old will understand that it's to make something more affordable, the price goes down. Yeah, yeah. We want to improve affordability without without price going down. So, well, how do you, how do you, how do you do that? Will you make access to credit uh, better? So that potentially makes things a little bit worse to, to the point before you allow people to access super you give them grants you do all kinds of other things that actually have all these um second order uh counterintuitive kind of impacts actually counterproductive impacts as well but actually all it does is 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 become a boon to those that are already on the property ladder which i hate um and is, is a massive massive disadvantage to, to everyone else so uh, square that circle for me mm. So I don't have no problem with any of that stuff with one massive, massive exception and it really annoys the hell out of me given he was the guy in charge of APRA is uh, affordability is absolutely not linked to um, to incomes when it comes to the price of the asset because the moving factor is always interest rates. Mm-hmm. We have by, by, by over the last... He sat at the top of the APRA channel. I'm not going to slander him at any point because I don't want to get fined or sued or anything else. He's at the top of APRA while rates went down and prices went up because rate because repayments got cheaper. Affordability as measured by weekly repayments didn't change, but the price of the assets went through the roof because interest rates went up while he, as head of APRA, reduced the bank's lending buffers to push prices up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, uh, that... I, I, <laughs> Yeah. I'm going to explode. Yeah. I yes, repayments are absolutely can absolutely only grow as fast as wages. And yes, if you measure affordability by repayments, which has always been my argument, by the way, mm. that that is the affordability, not price to not price to income, repayments to income. That's been my my argument for years. Mm-hmm. He's 100 percent right. But he was the bloke who then lowered lending buffers. And then, frankly, what he should have done was actually increase them instead mm-hmm. and said, rates are too low. They're not going to be this low forever. Let's not let people take on stupid amounts of debt while rates are unusually and unsustainably low. That's what the head of APRA should have been doing, in my view. Yes. Or at least APRA, the agency, to, to make it not about Wayne, because I'm sure there are other important people who are informing him and maybe the government is or isn't leaning on him to do stuff. So I don't know what's going on at APRA. But what should have been happening during the last two years, mate, is when rates went from 4 to 2%, the buffer should have gone up by two percentage points to make sure that repayments got cheaper, which helped the economy, but it didn't impact house prices. That is just... And this is, a, this is, the, this is why I said about smoothing the edges, actually. I wasn't making this point de- deliberately, but it's like, you know what? Yes, those things are absolutely true. So the job of the regulator, in my view, regulators plural as a group, 
is to say, hey, let's be mindful of and try and stop, try and modify, mollify unexpected you know, outcomes, unwelcome outcomes like house prices going through the roof by 20, what, 24% in 2021 mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. rates fell. Mm-hmm. That, was, that was completely within the remit of the RBA or APRA or the government or all three of them to say, hey, this is a bit dumb. Let's not do that. Let's increase the lending buffer when rates fall. Let's decrease the lending buffer when rates rise. Let's keep the asset prices reasonably. Because you've said before, I've said before, this is shelter, not an investment asset. Yeah. The, the fact that the price of shelter goes up 21% because rates fall, that is that is policy failure 101. Oh, yeah. By definition. Yeah. No. And when it comes back down, as Wayne says, oh, of course they're going to come back down. Well, mate, if they hadn't gone up in the first place, Wayne... <laughs> they wouldn't have had to come back down. Yeah, is all I'm saying. No, no I, I agree. I entirely agree with that point. Hey, <laughs> isn't it funny it. that um, <laughs> it's like it reminds me of politicians. It's sort of like when they leave politics, they start making, mm-hmm. they just start speaking straight and making yeah. huge amounts of sense. <laughs> really? Do. So why do you say that when you're in power? I was like, well, I, I mentioned a council of John Hewson, Malcolm Turnbull, Kim Beasley, uh, Kevin Rudd. Uh, John Howard, you know, like you can put one of those people in a room asking like policy decisions. We probably have a much, much better society. Wouldn't oh, we? it's just you know, there are there you are very constrained when you are yep. within an institution in what you can say. Yep. So it's just like once yep. once that leaves, it's like mic drop time. I can say what I uh, finally I can say what I like. Um, so yeah, I agree. I agree with that, mate. But it is. I mean, I think I think the point here is is just a really, 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 really good one. Which which is you know beware the moral hazard. Remember that things don't always go to the, the sky. Um, there are things happening in the world which are well beyond the control of this tiny little piddly institution called the RBA, which is which is a minnow on the global stage, which is fighting forces that it's well beyond its capacity to do so. Um, I would I would say you know watch mm-hmm. the bond market if you really want to see what's going to happen yep. with interest rates. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, I sus- I suspect interest rates mm-hmm. will probably I think there will be a pivot and mm-hmm. we will see things roll over probably at mm-hmm. some stage in the next twelve to eighteen months or so. But I don't think they're ever going back to those historic lows. And um, uh, you just need you just need to be. Uh, this is a this is generally true of shares of, of any investment. Beware, beware blatant extrapolation because it's it can be very dangerous. Yep, I think that's that's absolutely true, and that's probably the key the key lesson for and you know let's bring it back out of you know the 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 no not enough no, I say no nothing no not enough uh, home buyers or, or investors who thought they were buying investment property because the account said it was a good idea. Let's bring it back to finance because those same things you're talking about are exactly the right things that our our investors, our listeners, um, your your and my members should be thinking about as they go through their investing lives is is to, to learn those lessons before you have to learn them from yeah as as we always say it's cheaper to learn someone else's lessons than learn your own oh, it's so it's so true and can i just for the yeah. absolute um you know avoidance of any doubt whatsoever uh, really not just having a go at property it's it's, it's all in it's totally. all investment um i mean it would just be as ridiculous as if there was a policies in place for you know the government to backstop investors in speculative gold mining companies. I mean, it's it's ridiculous and it's wrong. And again, as I said, I'm an equities guy. Um, it's where I spend my my professional life is in this space. And I I would I was stringently argue against these kinds of policies in that particular asset class as well. There's just something that's different qualitatively when it comes to housing because it is so emotional and because it is something that has very, very clear utility that a share portfolio never will have in that I can live there 
shelter myself from the elements and raise a family. That's that's something that's really, really important. Um, but it's this bloody financialization of this asset class that has caused so many, so many problems and is why we're in this this hell of a pickle that, that we are in. Yep, that's a very, very good point. But let's talk about small caps. Um, you've talked regularly about the, well, once upon a once or twice, about the fact that small caps aren't riskier than large caps, and we've had that conversation backwards and forwards. When we did speak at FinFest on the weekend, on Saturday, um, we kind of talked about some of the ways that investors could uh, improve their odds overall. Again, these are overall when it comes to small cap investing. And I just thought it, it just thought it was it was a really interesting conversation. You had some fantastic points to make, mate. So I just wanted to give the opportunity to share that with our with our wider audience. Um, you can probably can listen to the the exact. Uh, it'll be up on social media eventually. They're going to put it up on YouTube, the Equity Mates team. So you can probably get the actual literal presentation there. Uh, and any, anything we said incorrectly, we apologise for in advance. Uh, but uh, mate, let's let's spend just a little bit of time on that because I think it's a mm. it was a really really useful conversation. And. You know, we went through the usual spiel of, yes, you know, there's nothing to say that small caps are riskier, well-chosen than poorly chosen large caps. There are some great large caps. There are some terrible small caps. Um, the, the, the label or categorization doesn't infer the same issue on every single company. There are some very risky large caps. There are some reasonably less risky small caps. I won't say unrisky because we need to be careful about what we say. Um, there's always risk investing in any asset, particularly in shares. So just, just keep that in mind. Uh, but... Uh, what, are, what are some of the things you would suggest to our listeners if they're, if they're trying to find high let me, let me try and get this phrase it correctly if they're looking for good odds mm. if they're looking for a risk and reward that offers what we would say is a more likely than not positive outcome I'm, I, I'm sounding really wordy here and I'm because I'm trying to say with, there's no risk free there's no you know easy win there's no you know whatever like I, I, I need to be really careful how I phrase it so I'm trying to be really careful if you wanted to try and find some small caps that you that are, are better than the average bear what are some of the tips and tricks you would give our listeners mate to, to try and do that yeah I, I guess the first thing I, I would say is I think somewhat that there is a, a false delineation here. Mm-hmm. Um, is like they're treated like a separate asset class because that's what yeah. brokers do and, and mm-hmm. brokers have got a lot to answer for. Mm-hmm. I mean, they are smaller, hence the name mm-hmm. small caps, but that's that's kind of the, the only difference. And so it's like whether I'm looking mm-hmm. at something that's in the top 10 largest companies on the ASX yep. or something that's in the bottom 10%, I mean, I still want a good company at a good price. I mean, to, to really nub it, right, right down to the nub of things, that, that, that's what matters. Right. So I think I think nothing's different, um, but why? So why would you do that? Well, there are there are some things that are probably generally true um, that you need to be aware of. The, the first one is that they tend to be um, a lot less liquid. So you know, I I can't just plow you know yeah, a million right. dollars into the, 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 the not that I have. Dollars to invest. I was going to say, only, only one percent of your portfolio goes into small caps. That's interesting. Well, you can't. I mean, there is. I own some stocks where where there's one I own in particular, which I won't name. Whereas there'd be days where nothing trades, and then if, oh, if five okay, or yeah. six thousand dollars trade yeah. in a day, you'd be lucky. So it's it just it just means that it's very it's much more difficult to get in or out. And also, as a related to that, is that they tend to be much more volatile, so they move around mm-hmm. a lot. Now, again, the underlying business could be the strongest, most brilliant business in the world, but. You, you need yeah. to have a stomach for that. I'd actually argue that's a wonderful thing. Yeah. It's a wonderful thing because you do have this, you do have these mm. wild movements. And it's like, oh, and if you actually understand the business, you've done the homework. 
And you think, oh, I can now buy this at 20% cheaper than I could last week. And nothing has changed. In fact, in, in many yeah, instances, yeah. which is what's happened over the last year, you've seen, you've seen absolute objective improvement in the business fundamentals, and yet the share price is 30% below where it was. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Mr. Market. That is, <laughs> that is a wonderful gift from heaven. I will take that any day. Um, so, so that's to be aware of. You, you pointed out when we did our talk at FinFest that, well, almost by definition, they've got a lot more upside too. Woolies is a great business, but there's a Woolworths in every suburb in every part of Australia. You know, it's like, can they grow? Sure, sure, they can grow. Yeah, growth size by fifty percent from here is going to be a uh, really a tough. long and very tough. Year. I mean, that's and that. By the way, that's fine if I can get that at a decent mm-hmm. price, and they're going to grow yeah. more or less in in line with inflation or the general economy. And I pay, and I'm getting a good dividend. That's that. That's probably a fantastic investment. So it's not about being unfair to to these companies, but when you're looking at a fifty million dollar market cap company that's only just released its product, it's commercializing, they've got some good sales traction, they've got a very large addressable market, which they've got a, a really red hot chance of capturing a significant share of. That, mm. that is brilliant. They, they, they absolutely can grow their top line at 20, 30% compound per year for 10 years. That's not, it's, it's, in fact, there's lots of examples of, of that kind of thing happening. And that's where you get the, 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 real, the life-changing returns, you know? Um, uh, and 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 you're up. And the other thing that I like, again, you, you all of the the big end of town, the PhDs, the the hyper resourced <laughs> companies with you know all the yeah, supercomputers, yeah. they're not playing in this pond because they can't. Yeah, yeah, it's nice. So it's you and yep. you know, yep, and a, and a couple idiots on Reddit. That that that's it. <laughs> and and so <laughs> you you've got a you've got a wonderful ad- advantage there. But other other than those kinds of things, um, yeah, the it's good company at a good price and don't be afraid to, yeah. to look in this space is what i would say i think that's i think that's what i really took from your and you've made this point before so it's not new but what it just it just i think some you're right about the the way people think about them as different businesses or different companies different investment styles and it seems to be i think what's really great about what you've said regularly is breaking apart the difference between the you know there's, there's blue chips or there's speculative stocks mm. That seems to be, you know, large, large caps are blue chips and, and by definition, they're all great. And small caps are all speculative stocks and by definition, they're all lotto tickets. So mm-hmm. why bother? Mm-hmm. And I think that that's, that's where I think this is, this is the most useful conversation we've had. I've railed for years, as you have, about the concept of a blue chip. The idea that, you know, just because it's... You know what? You know, God, you know, I hate it. You know what blue chips are useful for? They're useful for stockbrokers who are trying to sell you the idea of buying the stock they want to sell you, right? <laughs> BHP is a blue chip. You can't go wrong. Okay, I'll buy it. Well, there's a blue chip. You can't go wrong. Okay, I'll buy it. Enron's a blue chip. They're... Oh, hang on. Uh, ABC Learning is a blue... Oh, okay, hang on. You know, that, that idea yeah. of, of these companies that must do well because they're blue chips or that somehow you don't have to think about them because they're blue chips is crazy. It's also... I, I, I've, I saw it say all the time. I don't want to say to people, look, you know, all small caps are great. There's probably a larger proportion of rubbish in the small caps than our own large caps yep. just because there's a larger that's, number that's of fair. unprofitable business and all that kind of stuff, right? So we're not saying buy any at random or, or you know, if you buy half a dozen, you, you're almost certainly going to do well. Mm. But... The possibility of finding a better quality business than you find in the large cap space or some of the large caps and probably at a cheaper price, as you just said, mate, because they are less followed and less whatever. Yes, there are some considerations you need to keep in mind. You need to make sure that it may not trade very often. You may not be able to get out easily. You've got to be careful how much money you put in. There are some limitations or some implications. Mm -hmm. But if you can find some really high quality small cap business, no one else is following that's just a really high quality company, then you're in a really, really good spot. Would you say, mate, it can 
take uh, let me I, i'm gonna i'm gonna put words in your mouth mm-hmm. and you can tell whether i'm right or wrong i would say well actually it's my opinion I, you may disagree it's my opinion that you also need to have a longer time horizon with small caps because the value you see and why you think it's cheap if if it's if it's if everyone if no one else sees it either because it's so cheap then you know there is, there is part of that play which is no one's no one's paying attention so i'm buying it because it's cheap if in a year's time still no one else is paying attention, you can't assume that it will somehow not be cheap necessarily just because you want it to be. Yeah. The the very the very reality of why it's cheap mm-hmm. is going to act against you to some degree, a headwind of sorts, or maybe just not a tailwind. Um, waiting for a company on a PE of four to become a PE of 12 is, is a nice idea. But if you find it at, tw- at four because no one else cares, if no one else cares in 12 months' time, then you're not going to get the re-rating you're looking for. So it can, it can be one of those things where you need to be a little bit careful that you don't assume that there's some self-writing mechanism that, that somehow uh, things will happen if, if the reason you're buying it is not going to go away anytime soon. So it's an excellent point. If, if your investment thesis is entirely that there will be a, a re-rate by the market, in other words, there'll be a multiple expansion. Um, the market is only prepared to pay nine times earnings today, but in a year or two, mm-hmm. they'll be prepared to pay 20 times. That is a bet on the mood of the market, and I would never make a bet on that. Um, yeah. If, however, your bet is that this company will be earning mm-hmm. 30% more in two or three years' time yeah. and the multiple doesn't move, in fact, the multiple stays the same, well, actually, you're going to get a 30% uplift in your shares. What, what tends to happen, though, and this is where the long-term thing comes in, is because what every big company, every top 20 company in the ASX was a small company at some point. You know, the biggest company, Apple was a small company, Google was a small company not that not that long ago. Um, uh, but what happens is yeah, as they go along their journey, they're good investments, not because of this, mm-hmm. this expectation for market expansion, multiple expansion, but because the earnings just keep mm-hmm. pushing the damn thing up. And then they get to a size where actually the liquidity improves, brokers start covering them. And this mm-hmm. is when the, this mm-hmm. is the beauty of small cap investing. Uh, long-term small cap investing mm-hmm. is because what you what you can rely on um, if you if you're there long enough and the business executes to your expectation is that you get that leverage gain of not only being lifted up by the share price but also that multiple expansion. And hey, look, if the multiple expansion never comes, you're still okay. But if it does, and you go from obscure business that no one mm-hmm. followed to mm-hmm. business that everyone's now looking at, you you get you get both. You, earnings are now five times higher than they were, and the multiple mm-hmm. has gone three times higher. So now you've got a 15-fold gain on, on your hands. So it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing of beauty. The other thing I would say too is that generally speaking, this idea that the, the, mm. the, there's lower risk in the, in the large caps is just absolute nonsense. Yeah, they're more liquid, so you don't have that as a risk. And um, they, they, the earnings tend to be more stable because they're more mature. But um, Origin Energy, top 20 company, it's down 50% over the last 10 years. That's 10 years. You know, AMP mm-hmm. is down 80%. Even if you want to pick NAB, which has been in an environment where like every man and his dog can't help but make money and property and is 70% of their balance sheet, mm-hmm. you've gotten some dividends, but your share price is flat. We just talked about mm-hmm. the, the effects of inflation before. But before we had high inflation, you're still down 2 or 3% a year just on an inflation-adjusted basis. I mean, that's low risk. I, I don't, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense to me. So, mm-hmm. um it's just, it's so rewarding being in that space too. And you'll often find, I, I think as well, they're actually, it, it's actually easier because when you're looking at some of these smaller businesses, they, mm. looking at the financial statements of a very large organization, look at, look at Macquarie Bank, right? Great organization, but 
wow, you're going to need some pretty serious <laughs> accounting credentials. Transurban, oh my gosh, you know, yeah. these are when you're looking at a, a fifty million dollar market cap company <laughs> that does one does thing, does one thing, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. and it's the balance sheet yeah. you could give you could give yeah. to a year twelve student, they'll easily get it because it's just you know, the, the, yeah. it's actually yeah. it actually can be pretty easy. You and often what what you don't have at the helm of these these large companies is you don't you have yeah. professional executives. Um, yep. Often in the small cap land, you have the person who started the business. You have the founder. Mm -hmm. It's their baby. You know, they've run it. They've they've conceived of it. They were the entrepreneur behind mm -hmm. it. They they care far more. They're the kind of people that when you ask them what's going to happen next quarter, they'll just mm -hmm. look at you as if you're an idiot and will want to slap you. Um, they're thinking three, four, five, ten years out, and um, you know, they have serious skin in the game. That might you know. Matt Common at the Commonwealth Bank does not own 20% of Commonwealth Bank. You'll find <laughs> right. a whole bunch of small cap yeah. companies where the founder, yeah. who's a long-term thinker who understands the business intimately well, owns the majority of the business. They, they're in, they, doesn't mean they'll succeed, but you know that they're really trying because <laughs> their entire net worth is rolled up into this thing. So I think there's a lot of good reasons to, 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 to take, it, take it more seriously. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Um, uh, I remember, I remember back in the day when annual reports used to be on in paper and, and printed. Um, I remember getting the BHP one, and I want to say it was four hundred pages. I don't think that's an exaggeration. Why did three forty? It was some stupidly, stupidly large number. I'm like, oh man, like you know, yeah. uh, there's there's some things that are easy to understand, things that aren't. Um, I, I feel I feel compelled as always, mate, to do the um, not devil's advocate. Maybe the other side is just a business that only has one line of business is stupid easy to understand. It also is probably less resilient to. Um, an attack in that part of its business than something that might be if it had 15 different lines of business. If you look at South 32 as a miner, for example, it's in eight or nine commodities. You know, there, there is there is some value in complexity or, or not in complexity, in internal diversification. Mm. So as always, you make sure you're diversified portfolio-wise anyway in any business. Um, but just just be mindful that in those sort of things, if you have a, a very simple single line business, can be spectacularly good, by the way. Apple did a pretty good job with computers. Uh, mm. By the way, then then also diversified, so that's probably part of the story as well. Mm. Mm. Um, but just 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 be mindful that um, you don't want, you don't want to buy complex businesses for their own sake. I wouldn't recommend reading 400 pages of BHP's annual report unless you're going to buy the shares, in which case you should <laughs> absolutely read all 400 pages. So so think carefully. Um, I, just, I just want to make that point as yeah. well, mate. Just that you know, simplicity is great. Um, it, just, it just makes a business a little bit more fragile because there's no internal buffering um, that, that's available to it in, in the worst times. So just that's not a reason not to buy them. Just a reason to be diversified in your portfolio accordingly. Yeah, the, the old the old saying here, and it probably needs a bit of unpacking, but it's that risk equals return. Um, sort of one of these sort of mantras in the market, and it gets misused all yep. the time because yes. people think yes. that the more risk I take, the more return I will get. Yeah, no. <laughs> but how, did, how did that? I mean, talk about bloody stupid academics deciding that's okay, and it becomes it just became it became so such a truism. No one even bothered to ask the question. Well, of course, risk is return. That, that's what it is, yeah. right? Yeah. As if, as if it must be. It, it makes you well, like a lot of gone. like a lot of these things. There's a nugget of truth to it, which is why they persist. And and the nugget mm. of truth is is that if you want to take the mm. low, if you want to f go out into the world and even outside of equities and find the lowest risk investment you can, um, that's great. It'd be very low risk, but mm. but there's no free lunch. The, mm. There's a compromise mm. there, and the compromise is is like let, let's like this is why this is why government bonds offer you such terrible yields. It's because they're the safest investment in the world. If I buy something, if I buy a mm. treasury from the US, I mean, they can't default because they'll just print more money. <laughs> like it's impossible for them to default. You know, there are other factors at, at play here. But if I hold that to maturity, my, 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 the coupons I'm going to get are guaranteed. 
And so I don't get much. Now, if I buy, if I'm an angel investor and I'm buying something that's not even listed on the ASX and it's, you know, three guys in their, in, in their garage, the, the risk is insane. But that's, imagine, imagine if you had found Steve and Wozniak um, back when they were, you know, tinkering away in their garage like the returns that you would have got on your Apple shares. I mean, it's ridiculously insane. You could have, and in fact, statistically, you would have lost all of your money most of the time. But it's, it is, if you're the kind of person that is, and if you're younger, you can afford to take more risk. If you want these really good returns, like the 10X, or the, the, the 10 bagger as, as it's referred to, you're yes, not yes. going to get that by CBA or BHP yeah. or CSL. Great investments. Oh, yeah, 40 years, but <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, but these ones you can. Yeah, yeah. These ones you yeah, can. So yeah. that's 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 the why yeah. you would do it. Now, but then just remember that that the, the potential, the, the reason that potential exists is because the risk is much higher. Mm. And um, But if you understand that, you respect that, you do everything in your power to minimize the risk, not because you'll be able to minimize market risk, you can't, but you can minimize the risk. Buffett says risk is knowing is not knowing what you're doing. Um, and you yeah. and you can do a lot to minimize that risk. So you become intimately familiar with a business early stage. It's just it's wonderful. It's, I I'm passionate about it because it's it's helped me mm-hmm. fund a business and quit my job yeah. and you know and and yet there's plenty in there that that have just been absolute disasters for me. But that's that's okay. you also haven't done it by and this is the other thing I know I said this before. But yeah, absolutely haven't done that by taking flyers on speckies. You didn't you didn't get lucky punting oh. on a one cent gold explorer and made a million dollars and that's how you started straw man. It was it was it was thoughtful, sensible, regular, you know, diversified, researched investing in the small cap space. Yeah, yeah, and and probably where six out of ten didn't go well, but. But the other four went insanely well, you know. So you you've got it. You've got to look at it. A, yeah. a lot of people sort of yeah. get into this space, and they they the first investment they make goes badly. And goes, oh, it's terrible. I'm getting out. And it's like, no, no, no. That's that's normal. That's that's what you should expect. In fact, um, even Buffett, who's only invests in huge companies because he it's the only investments he can make these days, still makes mistakes all the time. It's it's just it's just normal. But if if you know, write out your thesis. Be clear on what your expectations are. Make sure it's grounded in in reality, backed up yeah. by good judgment, good faith, and be patient. You know, and it it's it, it can be life changing. Mm. Yep, exactly, mate. I reckon that's pretty much a fantastic way to finish off where we are. Um, I reckon that's uh, that's the right the right thinking. So yeah, just be maybe sum up this episode. Be be aware of the macro. Be aware of the impact on your investing and your investing life on your actual life as well of course uh, and then put that research brain to work find some great businesses large or small by the way because mm-hmm. uh, again the values can be uh, found wherever that's almost the point right is don't discount small caps don't exclusively look in small caps necessarily unless you have a particular preference for that find value where you find it but don't prejudge these things come with an open mind look for opportunities look for mispriced opportunities and i think andrew's right there is plenty of mispricing where others aren't looking almost by definition that could be a, a fantastic way to find some winners mate will you come back on sunday yeah looking forward to it good stuff until then full on cheers the motley fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned general advice only please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener The Motley Fool operates under Financial Services Licence 400691.